Happy Hour with Julie and Liz. So, Liz. Yes. We have some really good news about our next Supreme Court justice. Yes. Tell me the news. Aside from how gracious and poised and knowledgeable she is raising seven kids while unloading the dishwasher or cooking dinner, I don't know. But we finally, it's confirmed that she has never asked anyone for sexual favors or faced discipline or entered into a settlement related to sexual misconduct or committed any physical or verbal harassment or assault of a sexual nature. And also, did she not pay anyone off? Wasn't that part of the question? Like, have you been in settlement, you know, have you made like a settlement or something to silence your sexual? Yes, and turned into a settlement for this case. It's so gross. It's so, it's so gross. So dear listener, we are talking about the complete, how is there anyone more embarrassing than Maisie Hirono? I'm sure there are moments of people being more embarrassing, but we are talking about Maisie Hirono's questioning of Amy Coney Barrett on Tuesday during the Senate Judiciary Committee's hearing, uh, confirmation hearing, where she embarrassingly for the country, for the world, for humanity, uh, confronted Amy Coney Barrett and asked her this series of ridiculous, vile questions. Judge Barrett, Chief Justice John Roberts has recognized that, and I quote him, the judicial branch is not immune, end quote, from the widespread problem of sexual harassment and assault and has taken steps to address this issue within the judiciary. As part of my responsibility as a member of this committee and indeed all of the committees on which I sit, uh, to ensure the fitness of nominees for a lifetime appointment to the federal bench or to any of the other uh, positions uh, for any of the committees on which they appear. Uh, I ask each nominee these two questions, and I will ask them of you. Since you became a legal adult, have you ever made unwanted requests for sexual favors or committed any verbal or physical harassment or assault of a sexual nature? No, Senator Hirono. Have you ever faced discipline or entered into a settlement related to this kind of conduct? No, Senator. Well, this Amy Coney Barrett, she's like an icon, and we need to make ACB, like, overcome RBG. Like, mm-hmm. we need our own ACB uh, merch, you know, and all that stuff. Candles. Down with ACB. Yeah, yeah you, you know, know me. me. <laughs> oh, boy. That's awesome. Um, but this woman... First of all, my big takeaway from, and I watch almost every, the entire thing, at least for two days. I watched a little bit of it this morning, but it's, it's tough. The the number one takeaway is do not ever play poker with Amy Coney Barrett. Because if she did not crack under the absurd, outrageous things that she was asked or these heavy handed attempts at luring her to make a policy statement um I don't I don't think anything will crack her and it was it was impressive she just in general the woman is just extremely impressive I think that's why the left hates her so much she's very knowledgeable she's 
extremely acknowledged in her profession. You know, we we did get the big pump up before, you know, we, oh, she has seven children. She adopted two children. She she actually does CrossFit every morning at 5 a.m., I'm told. Oh, yeah. my God. I'm not lying. I mean, she's um, tiny. She's, she's a little a tiny. She's mm-hmm. a small, slight woman. She's attractive. She's obviously very smart. Everyone who's come in contact with her professionally has only the greatest things to say about her. So, obviously, the left hates her guts because she is everything – that they aren't. Mm-hmm. And if you the contrast in the hearings between these sort of clunky, shrewish Democrat women like Maisie Hirono, like um like Kamala, all of them. Kamala, like, like them. Amy Klobuchar, who I thought Amy Klobuchar was gonna cry at some point um when she was asking her, not not asking her, um Senator Kennedy from Louisiana had followed one of these harpies when they were questioning her. And she said, would you like to address some of the questions? And he goes, I mean, accusations (laughs) made because really they weren't questions. They were accusations. And and the hearing isn't a good faith endeavor. The purpose of this hearing is to make sure that she's qualified to sit on the Supreme Court. Now, she's on the Seventh Circuit Court right now. She was a law professor. She's obviously went to law school. She has the highest recommendation. So in the simplest terms, she is qualified. But this we're not we're not watching. We were not watching to a check to make sure she's qualified. This was like a tribunal <laughs> is what it was. So <clears throat> and I guess I, I, I guess I'm OK with going through some kind of heat some kind of fire before you get a lifetime position like that's it's okay it also really showcased the depravity once again of the democratic party and just their stupidity right did you hear anyone on the democratic side say anything intellectual or compelling was there any back and forth between any democratic senator and barrett about serious legal issues that the court will face, or was it all just low-key shade about Roe and Obamacare? It was, It was for the Democrats, it was very policy-driven because the Democrats view the judiciary as um, an auxiliary to the legislative branch, right? They want the court to sanction things that they don't have the votes for, because mm-hmm. they don't have the popular support for it. So to them, the Supreme Court is actually a policy machine. Um, when you heard Klobuchar, you heard Cory Booker. You, um, they're all hysterical. Durbin, um, White House, who's particularly insane. Kamala Harris. They were talking about, look what you will do to these people if you decide our crappy laws are unconstitutional. And really, that's not her job. As a justice. And that's not the Supreme Court's job. The Supreme Court's job isn't to say, well, yes, I guess we should just, you know, give everybody health care. Those that that's not the way the judicial system works. And the Democrats know it. But that's what they have to do to keep their base engaged. Their base is very simple, very emotional. They need to tell them because these are some of the things that were put before her or threatened or this sort of ominous questioning suggested she's going to make it illegal to have birth control. She's going to stop any IVF 
the ability to have IVF. Obviously, Roe is out the window. Um, there's not going to be health care and people are going to die starving on the streets. Um, all their big issues, of course, family separation. She she personally will be tearing babies off the mother's teeth as they nurse to separate <laughs> them. That, But those none of the issues that the court takes up. As you know, the court doesn't just hear issues like universal health care and abortion. They hear they're evaluating much more complicated chains of information about um, legal arguments. So they're making decisions on those argumentations and whether or not the laws are constitutional. That's nothing to do with policy. But really, that's all the Democrats have. So I I think the Republicans did a little bit of a better job. You know, there's some people that want to sort of do that, their constitutional flex with how smart they are. You've got the crew, Ted Cruz and Mike Lee. They're both, you know, consider themselves experts, you know, in, on, the, on the Constitution. So they got kind of in the weeds on that. But really, it was asking her different questions, things that in her career, her about her judicial orientation, which is the Constitution as it was written and as it was intended, rather than to disregard it and make your own thing up on the spot, like the Kagans and the RBGs. And, you know, one thing I find so insulting is the repeated reference by these Democrats that ACB is taking Ginsburg's seat. It's not Ginsburg's seat. Okay. It's right. the people's seat. All right. God bless her. She, she did public service. You know, she really wanted to not have Donald Trump appoint her successor. She should have resigned under Obama when she was just a hundred years old instead of 120 years old, like she was when she passed away on the job. So a lot of, a lot of the back and forth had to do with, um, and little snide things. And especially today when they were talking in general about the nomination, and then there were people that came forward as character pro witnesses, pro and con was that there's that this is illegitimate. You, you've, you had several of these whiny shrews complaining, this isn't normal. This isn't normal. This isn't supposed to be happening. It's like, it's actually totally normal. All right. Right. The, Several times we heard, oh, we're in the middle of an election. Great. That election determines what goes on in 2021. Okay. That election doesn't have anything to do. I kept hearing, oh, people are already voting. Millions of votes have been cast. What does that have to do with it? That has to do with another in a year, next year. That doesn't have to do with right now. Um, I don't know if you saw that in the media, Julie, or on Twitter where people, um, operatives were claiming that, you know, there's Trump should not appoint this justice. What do you, what did you think about those arguments? That, he, that he shouldn't have appointed her, that they should yeah, that be he, considering he this? Just, right. He should have waited until, um, you know, for the next president to appoint the, this justice. I mean, I think the Republicans, that's why they all lined up, right? Because they saw that that would be, would have been an electoral catastrophe for the president and Republican Party. I mean, the exit polls in 2016 were pretty clear. Fully 25% of Republicans elected Donald Trump. It was the number one issue. 
uh, for his appointments to the Supreme Court. And of course, at that time, the Scalia seat, I guess we can't call it that anymore. Well, it was really the Merrick Garland seat (laughs) was still open at that point. And so that really did drive Republican voters. So the president realized that's a commitment he wanted to fulfill. Republicans almost unanimously got on board. I think Lisa Murkowski may be still be a no or Susan Collins. We'll see when they go to the to the floor to vote. Um, But look, she the polling shows that as these confirmation hearings go on, she is becoming more and more popular with the American people. This is strictly anecdotal, but I walked into Pilates yesterday morning and there are three women sitting there chit chatting about her, what a role model she is for women, how great it was that she held up that blank pad of paper that she was taking no notes. And so, you know, there's a lot of enthusiasm, I think, not just for whatever her views are, because she's handled that well, but her whole demeanor, her character, her personal life, her professional story. So, I mean, this has turned out far better for the president and Republicans than I think even they anticipated. Well, it's such a contrast. Um, We have all these like angry, shrieking women yelling about feminism and girl power and women can do it all. And it's really kind of off-putting. And then by contrast, you have someone who is very soft-spoken, but eloquent, sharp as a whip, who really is, I mean, I, when I consider what kind of woman I want to be when I grow up, (laughs) um, you know, (laughs) it's that kind of woman. It's not the angry woman. It's not the pink pussy hat woman who's screaming. It's not, you know, sounding on the verge of hysteria. It's somebody who has their shit together that, you know, she was swatted away. There are crazy conspiracy theories like flies, but she was poised. She was calm. She was in control. I think it was smart, but not just from an optics perspective and not even from an electoral perspective. A lot of the arguments yesterday were that it's, as you heard, Biden at least had to walk it back, say, oh, this is unconstitutional, that the president should not do this, mm-hmm. um, as if there's some rule where he stops actually being the president, you know, before his four years are up, because there might be a new president in the following year. I don't know. I don't know if you found that persuasive or irritating or if you thought that made any sense. But I do point out that after Donald J. Trump was elected, Barack Hussein Obama put some nasty sanctions on the Russians for their fake Russian interference. And it was after Trump got elected. And I'm pretty sure Obama didn't say, well, I guess I won't do this sanctioning because Donald Trump is going to be the president. He might not want it. So I don't understand why now Trump is held to a different standard. Um, well, on everything, right? Yeah. <laughs> and I think the biggest argument that resonated with people that if this were the Democrats, they had the White House, they had the Senate, they would not pause for a millisecond oh. before they push through their, uh, quite frankly, they wouldn't have even bothered at this point holding confirmation hearings. They just would have pushed it right through the no. Senate and clapped their they hands would and that would, exactly- that would be done. They would do exactly what Nancy Pelosi did with impeachment, which was that she didn't hold a vote because that is the rules that she is supposed to hold a vote of all of the House members on whether they should proceed with an impeachment inquiry. Nancy Pelosi just skipped that and said, yeah, we're doing it. And that's exactly they would do the same kind of thing with this. The the reason they are so angry and so pissed off is because we we got them twice. 
We screwed them out of Merrick Garland, which we were perfectly entitled to do since the Senate was in control of the Republicans. And now we're going to get yet another justice on the court. And she is kicking ass. That's exactly the kind of woman they don't want to get a lot of promotion and coverage. So, you know, she kind of has the Mike Pence effect, I'm going to say, in this nonstop political upheaval climate that is just, you know, so exhausting for all of us, not just covering it, but for your average American. She just has this really calm demeanor. She wasn't arguing really with people as much. You watched it a lot more. I just I didn't watch really anything but the clips, but she just had this very calm, reassuring demeanor that I think people welcome hopefully on both sides or especially independents that they welcome right now in this, you know, nonstop hysteria. I think I I agree with you, Julie. I think that most Democrats on the inside are not crazier than a shithouse rat, like the, like the extremists in their party. And as a woman, you see a woman like this and you're proud and you're like, I want to aspire to that. You're not like, Oh, that honky white bitch with her privilege and her, you know, that isn't normal. Okay. That's only normal for like HuffPo, the HuffPo editorial room and obviously the New York Times. So they still have to vote her at a committee. There's going to be a vote. Then the whole Senate votes. We do have the votes, which is great because I have no patience for any sort of flouncing by Lisa Murkowski or Susan Collins. Um, I think we have enough votes without them. Although Murkowski had to walk it back. It's going to be tough to support not. Uh, I mean, this woman on the court. Won't it be hard for her? Here's a woman. She's up for reelection in two years in Alaska if she runs again. How is she going to explain to, you know, her overwhelmingly supportive state of Alaska why she voted against Amy Coney Barrett? That's going to be a tough sell. Yeah, anyone who's a legit Republican, even um, this, the Never Trumper, well, not all of them, but I'd say some of them, the National Review crowd, not the Bulwark crowd, you mm-hmm. can't think of yourself as a conservative and not want this woman on the court. Right. I mean, no matter how much you hate Trump, that's why Mitch McConnell has been plowing through judicial nominations um, through in the last four years. He knows how important the court is. It has nothing to do with whether you like Trump or not. Getting good people on the court is good for everybody. So we, you know, never say never. These clowns um, could have something up their sleeve. Maybe she sexually harassed someone or. God, wouldn't that be great, though, if she did? I would be like, (laughs) I don't even know. I don't I don't. I don't know. Who knows what they'll find? Because remember, what they consider scandalous isn't necessarily scandalous. The average person remember or you don't remember because fortunately you sheltered yourself. But there was this one of the big issues on the first day of questioning was that she had signed a pledge at her church that about being pro-life. And it was a very simple statement, like we affirm life and just it really wasn't complicated. It wasn't crazy. It was just a very simple and she had signed it 15 years ago. And boy, they did not like that. They shit themselves. They did not like it. And they kept asking her about it, asking about it. And she's like, look, it was at my church. I signed it. You know, that's my church. That's my religious belief. Um, and they just, to them, that's scandalous. But to most of America, it's actually not. Right. Right. Well, we'll uh, this is 
this is going to work out, I think, better than anybody had planned. So, um, and when is the vote scheduled? The 22nd? Um, I think it's, I don't know now, um, but I think next week. I thought it was the 22nd, but. Um, well, I out. think they have to vote her out of committee. I don't know if they did that today. Oh, that's right. Well, we're recording Thursday afternoon. Yeah, so it's the right. It's thir- it's Thursday, but technically for you when you're listening, it's probably Friday. So, um, yeah. So I don't. Um, I'm not sure exactly. There's like a certain. There's all these rules about certain amount of time has to go by. And, oh, that's they, right. You know, they have to wait a couple days. So, I think the final vote is scheduled for the twenty something, which is just a week away. I know. Thank God. We're getting closer to Armageddon. <laughs> yes. And then there's election. So let's, now that we talked about this issue and ACB, let's move on to the other big scandal. Oh, boy. Taking mm-hmm. place right now, which is that Twitter has, and Facebook have decided to just put their lead foot on the election interference accelerator for Joe Biden. Julie, why don't you just summarize for our listeners? So apparently Hunter Biden, the crackhead um, energy consultant, Chinese Communist Party emissary, um, womanizer. I mean, you could go down the list. I call him the Wolf of Washington. If anybody's ever seen the movie, The Wolf of Wall Street, he's like the Wolf of Washington. So um, apparently dropped off his laptop, didn't pick it up. The owner, I guess, gave it to the FBI. This story, this is where it gets a little cloudy. Well, he called. He tried to get Hunter to come. It was like 90 days that Hunter just... <laughs> checked out of, I don't know, a long weekend, let's say, a lost right. weekend of 90 days. Maybe he was in rehab. He kept calling and he never came. Somehow the computer got to the FBI. And then it got to Rudy Giuliani, the hard a copy, or it got to him and Rudy made a hard co- a copy of the hard drive. He gave it to the FBI, the guy, a friend helped him or something like that. Give it to the FBI. But the guy made a copy of the hard drive before he turned it over to the FBI. And then he gave the copy to Rudy. To which Rudy. Is fine. It's fine. Right. I have, no, I have no problem with that. No, not at all. So I'm sorry. I was a little vague on those details. At any rate, the, um, the evidence on this hard drive is beyond damaging. It's a little bit <laughs> stomach turning. Um, and but the real destructive part of the New York Post's expose, which was published Wednesday morning, is that it undercuts all of Joe Biden's denials about what he knew regarding Hunter's role as a Burisma board member, which he wasn't. He was a lobbyist for five years for Burisma, raked in $4 million, according to Ron Johnson's committee report last month. And so it undercuts, uh, completely contradicts two of Joe Biden's central claims that he did not know, he had no knowledge of uh, the Burisma dealings, his son's dealings with Burisma, but there's an email that confirms or seems to confirm that there was a meeting between Hunter Biden, Joe Biden, and um, a, a top Burisma executive in 2015. There's also another email between it looks like the white that confirms a White House 
call with Blue Star Strategies, which is the Democratic Tide um, PR firm that Burisma also hired, that they had some kind of a briefing call in early December of 2015. A few weeks later, Biden travels to the Ukraine to Ukraine, and that is where he made the threats about withholding the one billion dollars in loan guarantees unless Viktor Shokin, the uh, Ukrainian prosecutor who was looking into Burisma at the time, was fired, which he was fired in March of, of 2016. So these emails, aside from the gross pictures, obviously Hunter has a lot of problems. Um, <laughs> He's got more issues than Vogue. Oh, my God. <laughs> He's a twisted sister, man. But he um, but this undercuts Joe Biden's claims that he has made over and over publicly to the American public and, of course, to the press. So that is his biggest problem. He went in. He's back in hiding, hiding, Biden, hiding. But he has a town hall meeting scheduled for Thursday night. We'll see. Right, how but that that's not out. really that's not. Really. No, I know that's a lot. What could we call it? Well, it's going to be like, remember the last one, the last we, two where we mm-hmm. discovered where we discovered that. um all the people that said they were undecided were like Biden activists. <laughs> right. Like, no one's going to ask him about that. Um, there's still going to be a third debate. We'll see if he goes through with it. But I saw today that the Washington Post said that that Biden didn't force um, the firing of Shokin. <laughs> they literally said that. And right. I'm like, it's it's on film. Like, it's on video of him talking about it. Okay, but the stupidity of people who still want to believe that Joe Biden wanted this guy fired because he was really serious about corruption in Ukraine, give me a break. The This is like the same people who still believe that there's a P-tape of prostitutes yeah. urinating in front of Donald Trump at the Moscow Ritz car, and the same people who think that the Russians really did hack the DNC. So these people still believe that it's totally preposterous. But, yeah, I love Twitter's fact checking. The Washington Post confirms that Biden did well, it's so did circular. Not it's so circular because some entities are saying it's uh, the New York Post. The New York Post article is um, refuted, discredited because Twitter won't run it. And it's like, but Twitter, why won't Twitter not run it? Like, that's not a fact check, right? They're claiming, well, if it were true, Twitter would let it let it run. What? Why? Um, It's the the New York and the New York Post has more because there's a lot of stuff on that laptop. And so there's going to be a lot of stuff coming out. And Twitter has decided it's just not going to let anybody link to it or publish it. There's a long list of victims here who are banned um Mm -hmm. a friend of mine got like um i can't remember if it was the new it was uh what's his name uh and jetty like what sagar who he he retweeted sagar and twitter forced him to unfollow sagar like because they they censored sagar and jetty So and then they like Twitter is doing all of this stuff to make sure you don't see this article about. Well, you could not tweet it directly from the website yesterday. If you try, I I tried yesterday after they announced their 
after they were banning it, after they were flagging it with a warning. I tried to tweet it yesterday afternoon and it pops up, you know, oops, that tweet can't be sent, you know, check back later. And the New York Post Twitter feed still is locked. Um, It hasn't been able to tweet in over 24 hours, I believe. I just checked a, a bit ago. So Twitter is full out in censorship banning mode, this information. They banned Kaylee McEnany. And That's they right. Banned, they House banned Judiciary Committee. Trump, Trump, the Trump campaign. Trump. Yeah. They banned. So, I, I mean, this is just naked partisanship. And, and I understand that Twitter is a private company and it can do what it wants. But then let's call it what it is. Okay. This is a campaign donation. This is That's not just some neutral tool as is the presupposition of rule two, what is it? Two thirty that gives, that gives them immunity from what their content creators say on their quote tool. But a tool is like a phone. So if I called Julie on my phone, like I did this morning after (laughs) she had a coffee and I, I don't that. have Verizon like just dropping the call because it didn't like what I just said about right. Macy Morono. They're like, no, 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 you can't say that. Click. No, that's a tool. A tool is it's just a tool. Same thing with my landline. I don't have Verizon cutting out of my landline. That's a tool. What Twitter's doing is they have an editorial position and they control what is allowed to go on and what isn't. And so that means they are much closer to a newspaper than they are a tool and they need to be treated as such. And this, this service they're providing the Biden campaign needs to be monetized. And then they need to work out like how, how this is a donation because it's obviously worth tens of millions of dollars to literally wipe off a bad piece of information from a major communications outlet so they would need to figure out how that works since you can't give that much money to in hard money to a campaign. Well, furthermore, and I've ri- we've talked about this and I've written about this, it's against federal election law for a corporation to directly donate to a political can- candidate. It is against the law. That's why they form PACs. That's why it, now an executive, an owner, employees can donate, but they have to report that. So the campaign has to report who is accepting the donations. If the PAC is spending money, then they have to report that as well. There are very stringent reporting requirements. Here you have this, and I've talked to some experts about this, and I have a couple of articles about this. This is a huge legal gray area because, to your point, this is probably hundreds of millions of dollars in in in-kind donations from Facebook, from Twitter, Instagram also has banned content. Um, uh, YouTube, Google is going to stop certain ser- automatic searches. This, A lot of this relates to criticism about mail-in balloting. The president has already been flagged for posts that are critical of mail-in balloting. At the very same time, every day we are hearing of real instances of voter fraud tied to mail-in balloting. Yet Twitter and Facebook and Google and other of our big tech overlords have decided that any criticism of that is false and misleading information. It enables these platforms and providers to flag or ban or remove that sort of content. So this is straight up election. Election interference is one thing. It's sort of I don't know that there's a 
technical law about election interference, but <laughs> the violations of very stringent uh, regulations related to corporate uh, donations to political candidates is pretty cut and dry. And Liz, it's so funny. Remember how bad it was for corporations back in the day to donate? Wasn't there like all kinds of laws? It's funny you should mention that, Julie, Mm -hmm. because Citizens United was like a major issue in the ACB hearing where these these like heavy handed clumsy Democrats were trying to lure ACB to talk about the evilness of dark money, but not all dark money. Apparently this sort of gray area of unquantifiable help that so the, these internet tech tyrants are giving the Biden campaign. That's fine. <laughs> so it's, it, the campaign finance law is no joke and it is a bitch. It's, it's very strict. It's very complicated. Um, and it's for this and it and for a reason because people are able to look up and say who are these politicians getting money from and what companies are giving money to what politicians you know what what skin in the game is out there and people right. have a right to know that but that's not that's being entirely concealed twitter facebook instagram whatever snap whatever these outlets are they they're masquerading as some neutral, just, we're just a search engine. You know, we're just a social media company. No, you're not. And that's what's what's really damaging about this. And I have a right to know what their political interests are. So, because maybe I don't want to deal with them because of their interests. Well, and what they're planning after the election, too, is going to be an even bigger problem. So I don't know if now um, Senator Cruz and Lindsey Graham came out today, stepped out of the hearing, did a quick gaggle with some reporters. They are going to issue a subpoena or vote to issue a subpoena on Tuesday to compel testimony next Friday by Jack Dorsey and Mark Zuckerberg demanding that. Now, what is that going to get? You and I have... You know, it's like beating your head against the wall. So many hearings, so many letters about major issues that come way too late for any kind of action. So my only thought is, can the Trump campaign team, can the Republican Party file some kind of lawsuit in court some kind of seek some kind of relief or injunction against these companies from doing exactly what they're doing, which is violating campaign uh, finance laws? That seems to be a quicker remedy, if there's any at all. I guess the follow-up is after the election, you sue the Biden campaign or Democratic Party for not documenting, not reporting all of these in-kind donations from Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and YouTube and Google, I guess. But then that would that would be too late because they've all that the, the, their dirty work already would have been done. Right. That's that's the crux of it is that. The damage has already been done and it's going to continue to be done. And I'm not sure what the punishment would be exactly and how much of a deterrent that punishment would be. You know, for some of these companies like Google, well, you have to find them something like a hundred billion dollars to hurt them. They have so much money. I know. That's right. I mean, oh, you're going to give them a $10 million fine? That's someone's pocket change. (laughs) They, that. That's the issue. The other thing is, in general, you know, 
there isn't a lot of serious it's not criminal like they don't there's not massive criminal penalties i mean what are they going to put jack in prison they're not right so and by the time that gets litigated it's too late and a lot of these tech companies just like um a lot of the derp staters that are dragging their feet on doing the things that trump has told them to do they're just waiting out the clock because if trump loses and the republicans lose the senate they just they're sitting pretty Yep. It's over. Nothing's going to get done. So, you know, and I don't I don't think that unfortunately, I don't think that this is a huge issue for people except those who are super political. Um, You know, political Twitter is very small relative mm-hmm. to the electorate. It's one of these issues um, that isn't super hot. Right. With the voters at large, the voters aren't going to go picket outside Lindsey Graham's house over this the way they would about some other issue. Um, you and I are upset because, you know, we support a free press, but or, you know, we think there should be a fair playing field. But really, the average person down the street, they're probably not even on Twitter because there's not a lot of people on Twitter. And people use things like Facebook. They just want to see vacation pictures, maybe buy those MLM yoga leggings or the, or the oils, you know what I mean? Like, right. This this is, it's, you know, although people do get a lot of political news from Facebook, it's not because it's just stuff that people casually put up. It's not the majority of people are just, they're not hardcore activists. So talking about section 230 of the communications act, this is not resonating with someone. So it's not oh, a you're super right. hot, the, the, right. but however, and this is unfortunate for us, just for strategically speaking, that um, the left does have quite a bit of um, support not to do this because they're younger. They're of the tech generation. Um, you know, they they have a young that useless millennial Gen Y, not Gen Y as much or I don't know, whatever Gen Z. But the millennials, those are all tech-savvy people. They don't want the government messing with their tech, right? They think they have a right to it and all that other stuff. So it is, you know, you remember the fight for net neutrality. You know, there was a lot of um, activism on that from the left because those are really tech people. On the right, we just don't have that. We don't have that, and we don't have the passion. So if Trump loses and we lose the Senate, I mean, we're just – screwed we're going to be living in 1984 basically well I do wonder though like for example Ted Cruz and um, uh, Josh Hawley coming out today or the idea that this is election interference I aside from the section 230 or the campaign finance violations I do think that your average American Twitter or not they don't want to see these monopolies, which is what they right. are, deciding right. who is going to get what information and all the way. You know, they're used to the Washington Post or CNN being uh, on board with the Democrats, but there are alternatives. So you can watch Fox News or OAN or you can you know, read a ton of other conservative sites. There really aren't there isn't an alternative to Facebook. There isn't an alternative to Twitter. Yes, Parler is growing, but it's their reach is infinitesimal. Start your own internet, Julie. Start Start your own own Google. Stop being so lazy. The popularity of Google, I'm sorry, not Google, of Facebook, of Twitter, of Instagram, 
came about because they weren't political. They were just things that people like to do on the Internet. And then they ultimately turn political. So creating an outlet that is for politics is just not going to take off the same way that, you know, a, an app where you can, you know, send, put up photos, you know, of you face tuning yourself to 30 years younger, um, you know, with a fake Eiffel Tower behind you that, you know, or just the whole joining groups on Facebook and it's very social. And then secondarily, it became political. So the people on the right who are less tech savvy um, and also on the elected officials front, they're very old. I mean, another takeaway from the Amy Coney Barrett hearing is that it's definitely we might want to have a national conversation about an age limit for when you how long you can hold office. You know, we have these old men they don't know about the Google machine and they're, you know, they're not, they, they don't know what the hell they're talking about. They can't talk about it easily. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure what the solution is, except I think one way to help is to just remove this shield from liability and that people do need to be able to sue because the shit that came from Twitter about what they did and why they did it was absolutely ridiculous. Twitter claimed that they were protecting the users from this horrible information because, you know, it was hacked and, um, you know, it, it wasn't it wasn't well sourced. Well, first of all, it wasn't. I mean, come hacked. on. Come OK, on. it wasn't right. hacked. Um, and it was as well sourced as the numerous news stories that were gracing the pages of the Washington Post and the New York Times that were about Trump scandals, including leaked phone conversation transcripts, transcripts with ambassadors, transcripts of the Trump transition team talking to the FISA, FISA warrants, warrants, the Mm -hmm. PP dossier, all kinds of things. And the only source that the, in the media, you know, associates close to the president who are not authorized to speak or someone who wants to remain anonymous to avoid someone who's familiar with his thinking familiar. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. Someone close to someone who works in the administration, all these stories, front page all over the place. It's crazy that, that Twitter thinks that they could put out this explanation. I mean, the New York Post should just say the Russians hacked it. And so then it'll be okay to publish the emails because all, you know, that they were publishing all of the other emails before. So there was no objection to that. Um, we have some breaking news right now. Just want to share. It gives me a warm fuzzy. And I know Julie <laughs> will have one too. If she doesn't already know, but apparently C-SPAN has suspended the objective debate <laughs> moderator, was it Steve Scully who lied about being hacked when he reached out to that bottom feeder ankle biting gutter snipe Anthony Scaramucci for advice on (laughs) clapping back to Donald Trump so he got suspended this is the kind of people that they're putting in to moderate a debate you know and I like Steve Scully, excuse me, I like him. He seems like, you know, a low-key guy until I started seeing photos of him, like, at the Biden Hampton party or whatever. But, um, God, what a what a disaster. 
All of these people are in the same social circle. There's no difference between these media debutantes and the political class. They're... And, you know, it's a it's a revolving door. You know, most of the Obama administration started out working in the media, went into the Obama administration and went back into the media. Um, So this has just been such an unfair process. And I think that that's really going to leave a mark on our country that half of the people really feel cheated. Yeah. And. And have, I know it always comes back to this, but have no trust in these protections and these safeguards that we are supposed to have in place to prevent us from getting screwed and taken advantage of, you know, and it's not, that's not good. No, it's not. And, uh, you know, it, it also raises the question, I've thought about this a lot, and you and I talk about this, if Biden wins, then what? You know, I see his tweets and his comments. I'll be everyone's president. I'm, you know, the old Obama. It's not blue America, red. It's the United States of America. So when Biden says that, I'm thinking no effing way. We are going now. A lot of people will go along with it. You know, the Ben Sasses and the Mitt Romneys, you know, the wussy caucus. Bring it all together. Bring everyone together. We need common grounds. You know, we need. Right. We're not. That's not going to be us. Like we are going to remember, and I think that this was a little bit of the blowback this week. We remember, we will remember what they did to this president, what they tried to do to this president. Just like this week, to your point, the news media had some come to Jesus moment about where information is sourced from. We remember what you did to Mike Flynn and to Carter Page and to the president and to members of Trump's family. We remember what you did to Melania Trump. We remember, we're going to remember all of this. So the rules that they have put in place over the past four years, to the extent that we can. Those are our rules now too. Those are our rules. That's right. Right. So either everybody follows the rules or no one follows the rules. And there's not going to be any of this we just need to get past this. No, nope. we're not going to get past it. We're no. not going to get past it. And these are now nothing's off the table, right? This is phrases that we've heard from the Democrats before. Nothing's off the table. Okay. Nothing is off the table. And honestly, all I hear is how scared these people are of the quote alt-right and the QAnon people, which I don't know, the Peppy the Frog people. I mean, they're, they're just on the internet. How how dangerous they are. Well, the Democrats don't act like they're afraid that someone's going to snap and start going after them for this. And I'm not suggesting that anyone do that. It's just that they seem to think that there's no consequence, that they have carte blanche to do whatever they want. And the people are just going to smile and grit their teeth. Yes, sir. No, sir. And I don't say this like someone needs to take action. I'm saying that There are consequences to this. Our society is absolutely broken. There's no way to bring it back together. When I hear Joe Biden talk about how, you know, horrible and divisive it's been for the last four years, dude, that is not on Trump. That is on the Democrats. That is on the Democrats. And the things that they say about Trump aren't as much about Trump as they say it about their Trump supporters. And that is you. So there's no. And that is something. 
that is something the president says a lot, which is true. It's not just him who they hate. It's all of us. It's his supporters. It's the so-called deplorables. You know, it's the people who aren't as credentialed or educated now as the Democratic Party elite is. This is who they hate. Trump is just sort of the proxy for their contempt for most of America. I mean, these people even hate themselves. Let's not let's not kid each other. I mean, these are really awful people who probably don't even like each other. But they certainly. Yeah, yeah, they there's really something wrong with them. And so but unfortunately, these are the people who will be in power who still really are sort of in power, but they really will control all the lever levers of power if Biden, Biden, Harris, Obama wins in November and uh, the it's Democrats. It's really Obama Harris. Let's just call it. Joe Biden. Right. No, he's not even going to know if he won. You know what I mean? Like he, he'll be like, Joe, you won. Ho, 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 ho. You know, I mean, he's not even going to really know. Um, he's Before not going to know. Before we go. Um, we have to talk about coronavirus still. Well, that, exactly. That's still a thing. That is still going to freaking kill you and kill everybody you know if you don't put that stupid mask on right now. Okay, so I was shopping yesterday at Nordstrom and I did not have a mask. I was with my daughter who's home for the week from Syracuse because they were on another insane lockdown. (laughs) She, of course, pops her mask on right away. I mean, she's a rebel like us. She's a badass, but she's like, I don't want to talk to people. So I'm just going to have my mask on. I'm like, fine. So I didn't. No one said a word, you know, and I'm in suburban Chicago, so it's not like I'm in a free state. No one said anything until right at the very end a woman in the shoe department who works there said, can I ask you to put your mask on? Like, yes, fine. So I don't really mind if an employee does that because that's what they're told to do from corporate headquarters. I I don't feel bad. Yeah. I don't want, we don't look, Julie, if there's anything we don't want, it's for Nordstrom's to close. We do not. We, we need Nordstrom open. Absolutely. But if some rando had said something, I would have said my usual response mind your own fucking business. But when an employee says, and I'm fine, I don't want anyone to get in trouble at any rate. Um, so we have a second wave. We have now this, um, battle between Fauci, Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burks and versus now, not just Dr. Scott Atlas, the newest white house coronavirus task force advisor, but the president himself who is now taking shots at Dr. Fauci, and this is really turning into quite a battle. And by the way, um, Fauci now says we are not going to be able to have Thanksgiving dinner. I we like can that today. if we wear masks with face shields over them, decorated like a turkey. Yeah, you know, go fuck yourself. <laughs> I mean, I have a real problem with people being told what to do where this is not in any way a, a, a established protection against the virus. If you are someone who is vulnerable and if you have health conditions, you're older, maybe you're diabetic, you have a bad heart or lungs, then you take all the steps you need to feel safe. But don't don't tell people to do that otherwise. Everybody, you know, we have such an infantile, the Democrats want to infantilize everybody. So it's like, rather than say, and this was kind of Trump's orientation on this to start, which was like, 
you know, these are the different things that you can do. You need to decide what you need to do to protect yourself. There's not a one size fits all solution to this. Some people, we just saw Ted, we saw Tom Tillis, we saw Mike Lee, we saw Donald J. Trump, we saw Melania, and apparently Barron had it, nobody knew, and nobody could tell. Right. And Kaylee McEnany and Ronna McDaniels, who's all over the place, all these people had it, they're fine in a week. Now, I'm not saying that's everybody. I'm not saying that everybody, you know, nobody's dying horrific deaths, because I'm not saying that. But the idea that this is a certain death sentence, unless you cover yourself in a giant body condom, that is not accurate. And the way that we've handled this from the start, they never began from a position of how do we live with this and protect ourselves? You know, we know it's there. It can be very deadly to the to the right person. How can we live with it? And instead, we have all of these ridiculous requirements. There was a study from the CDC a a couple days ago, 70% of the people who got coronavirus said they wore a mask all the time. Okay. That's right. Right. Okay. Well, how can these people be getting it? How did the governor of Virginia get it? How did now Kamala Harris's staff, uh, her communications director, how did she get it? They're wearing masks and socially distancing all the time. Well, nobody in the Biden camp is going to get it because those people don't leave anywhere. I mean, you know, Biden's getting a silkwood shower every day at the end of the day to <laughs> wash off the germs from him. He's not getting anything. But so now Fauci has said, well, you shouldn't have Thanksgiving. And I just, you know, it, it it's so clearly a power move because oh, because a, a good faith examination of this would take into consider this doesn't happen in a vacuum. We're not just get rid of the coronavirus. There are consequences to all these requirements that nobody's talking about. There's more drug addiction. There's more alcoholism. There's more abuse going on. There's kids that are falling further. Our dumb American kids are even dumber because they're not going to school anymore and they're having trouble distance learning. There's people not getting diagnosed with things that they would normally see their physician for. People aren't keeping up on their treatment to help their chronic diseases. They're so afraid to go to the hospital. Those are things are also happening, but it's like, we're not talking about, we're talking, but you have to wear your stupid mask. And we're every night, at least one on each news story, we hear some horrible, horrible, you know, human interest story about a bunch of people who died because of the virus and trying to keep people in, you know, in, in line. This is terrible. And meanwhile, and I have a piece up this week in American Greatness, um, the lockdown, the people who were the most adamant about lockdowns in the spring now are changing their tune. Dr. David Nabarro, who is who is the World Health Organization special envoy on COVID, said in an interview a few days ago oh, yeah. uh, that, <laughs> right, <laughs> thanks for telling yeah. us now, the organization doesn't adv- advocate lockdowns as the primary means of controlling this virus. He noted this is a terrible, ghastly global catastrophe. Remember, lockdowns have one consequence that we must never, ever belittle, and that is making poor people an awful lot poorer. He said that they are expecting a doubling uh, in world poverty rates and child uh, hunger rates. Um, The 25-year progress being made on child marriages particularly in Southeast Asia and India, is going to be reversed. 
uh, as people who are starving in India, thanks to that their lockdown and the entire first world's lockdown. That that's the trickle down effect. Um, they are having to marry off their daughters because it's either marry her off or starve. So this is having, aside from war, Liz, it's hard to think of a more devastating man-made catastrophe than these international lockdowns and countries are starting to lock down again. Just it defies science. It defies common sense. It defies compassion. Uh, it's just, it's so alarming that we are living in this time of modern age, you know, technological advances, medicine, healthcare systems that are improving all across the, the world. And yet we are, deploying the stone age approach to a virus that we know is only lethal to a very small population of people. Well, also we are elevating and celebrating a level of mental insanity regarding this as virtuous. So the, a couple of days ago, the Washington Post had some essay written by a woman clearly who has had a psychotic break. Do you remember that where she was talking about all the things she did to keep the virus away from her? She was putting bleach up her nose. She was doing these crazy things. And it's just like this woman needs inpatient treatment. She doesn't need to be on the front page of the Washington Post like a role model. It was out of control. Yeah. It was really sad. But that's kind of I see it with the younger the the millennials too. I mean, these people are scared shitless. They're like, I can't go to the grocery store. You know, I'm afraid my husband won't let me go to the grocery store. And I'm like, do you think you're going to get this while you walk in past someone in the stovetop stuff in aisle? You're, that's not how you get it. But, but they, they have been so brainwashed and they, you know, there's an early investment in this. And actually I will point out, there was a Twitter user, um, a very, I think, sort of a high profile one uh, who covers Antifa. He was an early, very early proponent, not just of lockdowns, but he was bashing those of us, the small group of us on the right who were questioning this. He was calling us grandma killers. Um, you know, All you care about, you're greedy. All you care about is money. And um, I we were allies at one point. I unfollowed him. I ignored him. And then when the WHO director came out or the WHO envoy came out and said they were a disaster, he actually apologized to me and to others for his early viewpoint on lockdown and recognizing it was a mistake. That's rare, though. Most people who bought into this early on absolutely refuse now to acknowledge that what we know now, we, okay, fine, we didn't know in March and April. But we also saw what could forecast the the mitigating consequences of these lockdowns. Who would have thought here we would be at the end of October, mid-October, still having these public health, quote-unquote, experts tell us, you have to cancel Thanksgiving dinner. Oh, and don't even think about going to a Santa's brunch. It's And getting worse rather than getting better. No, for sure. And 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 remember, the, these are the people in the party of science here. You know, that's the problem with um, this cultish allegiance to ideas and people instead of taking a oh, starting from an open minded position. What you know, when we started to see these terrible images come out of China and Italy, 
And then we started to have outbreaks here. We didn't really know exactly what we were dealing with, you know, how contagious, how deadly, who, who gets, you know, seriously sick from this. But we know a lot now. And when you're so invested with the, this cultish allegiance, then you can't take a step back and say, okay, well, you know, I'm going to keep my older parent and grandparents, you know, we want to limit their exposure. You know, we, we when they go out, we want to have ma- mask on them or what, whatever the hell. In, and But other people, you can go about your bit, you know, you can kind of go about your business, just be mindful, wash your hands. You know, look, it is contagious. And, you know, you don't, nobody wants, to, nobody no wants doubt. to get a, a, you know, an extra flu or anything. But I mean, no, we're all, we're all, as I say, we're, they're balls deep in this. They are balls deep and they're not budging. And so, you know, it's, it's a great tragedy, um, you know, and I think that's a, a good note to end our show on as, as we end our show always. <laughs> <laughs> on such a high note and that's here at Happy a Hour. great tragedy we, I have to remember that from now on let's end Cheers. it with that I know. <laughs> have a great week no <laughs> hey, thank you so much for listening to us you can subscribe on iTunes now we're on iTunes um, and we are um, every Friday usually sometimes Thursday if I work really fast um, you can listen to us and we'll be back Next Friday, um, hopefully, they'll, maybe there'll be a vote on ACB. And, um, you know, you have a whole week to think about where you're going to order takeout for Thanksgiving because you're not going to be Thanksgiving anymore. <laughs> that's going to take – you know what? That's going to – can you imagine Butterball is going to go bankrupt now because Anthony Fauci said there's no Thanksgiving dinner? Well, the only thing I saw on Twitter, everybody's like, yeah, whatever, dude. Like, no, I know. won't invite you. Like, Well, the people off. in the red state and the Republicans are going to have a great Thanksgiving, and then all the sad sacks are going to be, like, ordering, <laughs> I don't know – they're arugula DoorDash again. salad from DoorDash. Oh, sad. <laughs> or their tofurkey or whatever. So thanks again, guys. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to Happy Hour with Julie and Liz. We'll see you next week. Bye.